In the 14th century, a poet created a chivalric romance. In the 21st century, the director of Zack's favorite movie adapted the poem into a film. Zack really wanted to talk about the movie, but didn't have a platform to do it. Then he remembered that he has a podcast where he can pretty much do whatever he wants. That was The Green Knight, and this is Godfellas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a thrilling episode of Godfellas. Ah, I lost it. Of Godfellas, where you can't stop the music. Nobody can stop the music. Take the cold from the snow, tell the trees don't grow, tell the wind don't blow, because it's easier than trying to stop what we got going on here at Godfellas. Today, I am very excited. We're going to try something new. We are talking about classic literature and a newer film. Uh, and I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm excited to see where this goes. But before we get into that, I'd like to introduce our two guests. Ladies and gentlemen, our first guest, she is an incredible, incredible, incredible writer. Like, really good. We'll put a link to her stuff in the notes because it's very good and very impressive. A lover of Shakespeare and a wonderful reader of Shakespeare, I might add. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up, unless you're driving, for Miss Kate McGonagall. Woo! Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And she is not alone. We are also joined by the hilarious, the gifted writer of his own incredible blog, Madman Behind the Guitar, just... He is the reason I'm alive. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Nielsen Munn. Hello. There's a lot to unpack in that intro. I hope we get a chance to circle back and kind of explain to our listeners uh, some of what was going on in there. Neil, why don't you you explain a little bit? So particularly that last comment about me being the reason you're alive. Legend has it that our parents were in Salvation Army training college together basically, you know, seminary to become a minister in the Salvation Army. Your parents at the time were childless and were so taken with me, who at that time was a cute one-year-old, that it directly inspired them to have children of their own. Yeah, famously, my parents have said, like, we weren't thinking about having kids, and then we met little Neil, and we were like, we want kids now. (laughs) Yeah, so my my cuteness basically like inspired them to start a family. So and you yeah. you alluded to that story once at a coffee shop. I remember you saying, "You know, you're the reason I have parents." Yeah, which is also a great way to phrase that. And I remember like just turning to the barista and being like, "We, we owe him an explanation now. <laughs> you can't just say that and leave it unexplained." Yes, that is that's my favorite bit to do. Yeah, so. The three of us, I obviously knew Neil before, but uh, if you remember Michael Williams and Joe Frost and Chris Monroe listening audience, they are all members of ISP, International Shakespeare Players, and that is where we met uh, Kate, who turned around ISP for me like 
110% because <laughs> it was, um, ISP was kind of something that I was doing because I was friends with Chris and early on he was like, can you kind of help out? And I was like, yeah, okay. And I, I like Shakespeare, <laughs> um, but it, I always thought that that was kind of out of the cards for me because... You know, I'm more like, I like, I'm more funny and goofy and fall down a lot. And then Chris was pointing out, well, there's these classic fool characters. And I was like, okay. So the first time I really like read a character who was the fool was in The Tempest where uh, Kate played Caliban and I played Trinculo and someone else played um, Stefano. And that was probably the most fun that I had during the entire uh, quarantine. So uh, Kate, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for being here. (laughs) You're so welcome. That was actually my ISP debut. So I was really? very much going out on a limb. Nobody knew me. Right. Um, and I, I just said I requested the role of Caliban because I find that role fascinating. And I saw a production once that was actually all women nice. where Caliban was a woman. And so um, I was very much going out on a limb. And then our trio, I feel, carried the whole show. I just had this memory of, of texting one of you, Trinculo or Stefano, or like through Zoom, and, and there was a discussion of um, dousing ourselves in water before appearing at yeah. the next scene because we we're supposed to come in wet or something. And so there was this moment where I was literally standing under the faucet in my kitchen. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It transformed my experience too. It was just with perfect strangers and yeah. not performing Shakespeare for a really long time. Um, it was it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that moment of the Zoom cameras coming back on and all of you being soaking wet was <laughs> one of the highlights of international Shakespeare players. Yeah. It's still available on YouTube, everybody. <laughs> it is. I might uh, put the clip in for uh, for our audience. Um, so both of you, massive, massive fans of uh, English literature, right? Yes, I was an English lit major in college. So and was I, Nielsen. I didn't know that. Awesome. That makes complete sense. I guess if, <laughs> if you participate in an online Zoom meetup that reads through the complete works of William Shakespeare, it's kind of inherently narrowing down the field of likelihood that you'll be an English <laughs> lit major. So it's not like shocking, you know? But, yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. A I didn't know that, though. That makes sense. So so what led both of you to um, your your passion, I guess I'll say, for English Lit? Oh, um, I guess I'll take that first. Yeah. I feel like I came into this world ready for English Lit. I think um, as soon as I was able to write, I was writing random stories all the time, reading everything. And I think reading for me, whatever I'm reading, it's always brought me into both my best self and into a deep understanding of humanity. Um, and so when I got to college and knew that I was going to be an English major, I also realized that there's just, there's so much out there and there's so much to be discovered and there will always be so much to be discovered, but people have been thinking and putting their ideas onto the page since the beginning of time. And I sometimes find that the most riveting and transforming ideas that I've encountered in my life have come through books. Um, so that's like a very nutshell response about why I love English literature so much. <laughs> mm. I'll leave it at that. Nielsen, you should, you should answer now. Great question, Zach. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that before. And it's kind of like, Kate, it's just always been so baked into who I am that I've never really questioned it. I was a huge reader as a kid from a young age. 
Um, I could go through some of the, you know, different book series I was obsessed with. But I remember in high school, I started to read novels more. I remember the first time I read 1984 by George Orwell, probably a little too young at the time, but it made a huge impression on me. My dad had one of Ernest Hemingway's novels on his shelf, and I pulled that down and read that when I was in high school. And there was a collection of John Updike short stories that I read like multiple times that was lying around the house. And I remember there was a sequence in one of the stories where a character speaking, I think this was the, you know, the John Updike story collection. And it says, you know, so-and-so to whom he was speaking and so-and-so for whom he was Mm. speaking. And I remember reading that at a young age, like 15 or something. And as basic as that may seem, I'd never really seen that kind of analysis of a social situation before of where you're addressing someone else, but your audience is someone that's nearby to whom you are not ostensibly directing your comment. And to have that actually kind of explicated and analyzed, you know, which is, I think, what's so cool about literature that you can kind of step behind the mask and do that um, was really kind of a, a cool discovery for me. Nice, nice. That loosely, like, just you hearing that and being inspired, it reminds me of this past year I was uh, working with one of my students. I was teaching him the uh, Brutus is an Honorable Man monologue. And he was like, kind of not like getting it. And so I said, well, why don't we go over and we'll like look at the No Fear Shakespeare translation. And like, let's see what that does for you. And, you know, the kid read that and he goes like, oh, this is whack. I was like, what? He goes like, he's like, <laughs> like, it's gone. He's like, all the, like the language and everything is gone. He's like, I didn't understand a hundred percent what he was saying, but all of like what made that like cool is gone now. And I was like, oh, this is a good kid. I like this kid. He's, he's good. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so why are we, why are we talking about Sir Gawain or Gowan, as they say in the movie? On... I was going to say, if yeah. we just can establish one thing right up front, how are we pronouncing the protagonist's <laughs> name? How are we? I'm I'm going to defer to you're both smarter than I am, so I'm going to defer to both of you. Uh, I think I'm... we should go with Gowan. All right. In in deference to director David Lowry's choice. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think so, but I also think I remember a lecture in college that talked about the pronunciation. Um, so this is very this is very dim and distant, but I think there was a conversation about that. How today we would say Gawain because that's just mm. how it's evolved. But given the original Middle English, it would be Gowan, right? Or even I think a little bit more raw and rustic. Right. I kind of like the no sound quote, of Gowan more. I always, in my head, I heard Gawain every time I read this up until a month and a half ago when I saw the movie. <laughs> and I was shocked that they were pronouncing it Gowan, but I'm all for it. I like it. Nice. Yeah. I'm, nice. I'm an instant convert. <laughs> so so we're talking about this on, on this show, though, because one, like I said in the cold open, a Ghost Story, also directed by David Lowry, is my favorite movie ever. So when I heard that he was doing like authorian like legends, I'm like, okay, like I'm I'm intrigued. Yes. And then I yes. went and I and I read the poem and I was like, are interesting. Like it makes sense for him <laughs> to be doing that, if I'm being honest. But I was really curious about well, which way are they gonna go? 
with it because you know we'll we'll talk about this but the 14th century we know that most writing was kind of in a bubble of like the church and having to kind of write inside of that um which i guess is where the the conversation will end up but uh just i guess right out of the right out of the gate the the poem sir gowan and the Green Knight. <laughs> is this one that you are both familiar with or one that you had heard of and not actually read? I read yes. it in college at the right. time, ignorantly thinking it was pronounced Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I think it was the Tolkien translation. Yes. Which I, read. yes. I barely remember it <laughs> to the point where I almost want to say it may have been an assignment I skipped. So it's like, I, I remember being assigned it as reading, but I'm not sure if I actually did or not, but I had enough of a paradigm for like what it is and what it represents that when I saw the movie was in development, I got excited. Yeah. Yeah. And Kate, what about you? Yeah, I actually encountered Sir Gawain. I just, I really love that. Uh, <laughs> I'll try not to make about. that a thing every single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's have a little sound effect at that, at that, <laughs> whenever we say it, say it in that way. Um, I read it as part of one of my favorite courses in college, which was basically a great books course. We started with Homer um, at the beginning of the year, and then we ended with Virginia Woolf, and it was super intense. We were doing three books every week. It was, I think the course title was like humanities 216, um, religion, philosophy, politics, literature, art <laughs> in Western culture. And it was just everything and it ran the gamut. And so Sir Gawain came up in that, in that sequence, of course, earlier on, never heard of it up until that point. Right. Um, but I, I actually distinctly remember it. And I remember the lectures and I remember our conversations. We spent a lot of time on it. And I remember reading this poem. We didn't read the whole piece because it is rather long. Yeah. We read selections. Um, but finding the language to be very moving compared to the other 13th and 15th century literature that we were reading um, in that sequence, there was something very, almost I'd say unsettling about the language that I felt like there was so much more. There was so much to talk about. There were so many themes. It felt like it wasn't a direct poem in any way. Right. Um, and so I, I'd completely forgotten about it, but then I saw my boyfriend is very much into um, it's a 24, right? A24 yes. Film. Yes. Um, and so he just showed me the trailer one day, a couple of months ago. And and then I was just like, wait, I think this is based off of that anon anonymous poem. And then it was this big revelation for me. And I was so excited because just from the trailer, I could tell that the interpretation was really fascinating and really rich. Um, and so then we went we went to see it on opening night yep. and I saw it again the following week. Um, so it was this kind of wonderful meshing of time because I'd encountered it when I was, you know, a college freshman at a very naive ripe age of 18 and 10 years later I'm encountering it in this capacity. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very, very thrilling um, reunion, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is, this is interesting. Uh, the American heritage dictionary has four listed pronunciations of Gowan. So I guess that's interesting. That is very, very interesting. Um, Keep us on our toes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm guessing. And the name Gavin has since derived from it. That's oh, very, I didn't think of that. 
I would say the link in my mind between this 14th century chivalric Middle English poem and the American first name Gavin was fairly uh, non-existent. Beautiful. <laughs> I was going to say attenuated at best, but yeah. That's beautiful. And, and I'll say for me, um, content like this, um, like the Green the Green Knight film specifically is my favorite kind of content to engage with. Um, I like to have something to really chew on and think about. Like, I guess my story with the movie is I was going to go see it and I was hanging out with my dad and I just kind of was like, like, do you want to go see it with me? And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And I thought he was going to hate it. And at the end, he was like, wow, that was really impressive. And I was like, yeah, what'd you think of it? He's like, I don't know what that was about. I didn't get it, but it was really impressive. So then as more people have kind of seen it, I've just enjoyed talking about it. And and the poem too, although I think the poem is a little more, I don't want to say blunt is such a bad word, but it's a little more like, here's here's what's happening. And this one's a little more open for interpretation. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of get into the differences between the poem and the film, which, by the way, spoilers for, for the movie. If you haven't seen it, stop listening, go watch it now, come back, and you're back. Saddle up your <laughs> the differences between um, the poem and the film. Are there any that kind of really jump out to you? Very different. Very different. That's the first thing I would say right off the bat. If you if you consume this Green Knight content the way I have <laughs> over the last couple of months, namely yeah. watch the movie, having it be questionable whether you've ever even read the poem. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> then go back and read slash possibly reread the poem. Right. Um, the poem is kind of jarringly different from the movie. It's much more lighthearted and comedic yeah. than the movie. Yeah. And you would expect that this poem that's coming to you from like the middle ages across the chasm of time, that that would be like the dour dark one and the Hollywood revamp would be the more lighthearted shiny one, but it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, it's interesting. In the beginning of the poem, they're like exchanging gifts on like New Year's Eve and they're having like a nice yeah. time. And then this one opens, he's like in a brothel and there's like witchcraft and stuff like that. Like I had a minute, I was like, what? This is based on, oh, okay, sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's really brilliant on David Lowry's part to take this opening from the poem, which is really striking. It's yeah. like, what a great opening sequence but which in the poem is played as kind of fun, like a fun yeah. little diversion on Christmas, you know? Mm -hmm. This is a Christmas movie, by, by the way, I think we all agree. I, I, the second time watching it, I did have a moment like, yeah. I can't wait to watch this on Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> but then to take that and actually make it what I think it's almost more suited for, which is kind of like foreboding and haunting. Yeah you know, and like a meditation on mortality. I kind of can't believe that isn't there to a greater degree in the original text. Sure. But I, I feel like it was really right to get this treatment. Yes. Yeah. I feel the the poem, you know, it's so interesting. I feel like I have two experiences of the poem. I feel like there is this very performative element to it. This like, 
oh, it's Christmas time and let's hear a story. And there is that sense of playfulness and that comedic nature. And there's a lot of poking fun. Everybody is like constantly laughing and smiling and being very polite and very courteous to each other in the in the poem. But I think that's what I, when I was originally reading it back in my teenage days, that's what I found to be unsettling. I think there's this element of it, despite it being so playful, there's also this atmosphere of like, okay, what's beneath that facade? I think I, I felt that reading it. And so that atmosphere of not really knowing who people are and what their intentions are, I felt the movie took that and exploded it. And that was like, it just took those themes and elements of the performative nature of who we are as people and the performative nature of gift giving and exchange and interpreted it in a really... Um, I'd say philosophical way in a more unsettling way. So I find like, I find common ground between them. I, I was describing it after I saw the movie. I was like, I feel the same way after watching this movie as I felt when I first read the poem. Interesting. This feeling of like, what did I just experience? <laughs> um, and it was really deep and really moving. Um, so despite their differences, I think the atmosphere is still similar. Yeah, I'll, I'll say one of the things that jumped out to me is I thought the way that they portrayed Arthur was actually quite interesting because I the book it's more like you know, the book the poem is more like you know oh this this classic figure that you know we've seen as like strong and mighty and then in, in this movie I remember when I saw the casting I was like that's that's the guy and you watch it and like he's a little more like world weary and he's a little more like you know he's been around and he's more like humble and I thought that was a really interesting um way to play with i think the audience's expectations i thought that was very mm. interesting mm. yeah it's not who you would expect to be cast as king arthur i can't remember the actor's name but i seem to remember him. something or other i think he gets exploded from the inside out in prometheus <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I, that's my I, main memory of him is him like dissolving in black bile so yeah, was, oh wow my, mine was he's the bad guy from mission impossible five and six so. <laughs> yeah i just i felt like i'd never seen him before so i just came at it like this is king arthur <laughs> yeah that's he beautiful. is King Arthur. Too. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and the other character who I felt like I loved the way that Dev Patel. I thought his performance was amazing because you know, again in the poem, he's a little more like actually noble, and I liked that in this it was more like he's, for lack of a better term, he's kind of broy in in this one of like. Yeah, like I'm cool, I'm awesome, and I'm like, you know, I do great things. So, because again, in the in the poem, when the Green Knight shows up, and he, you know, does he gives out his challenge of you know come and you know strike me, and in a year I'll return the blow. In the in the poem, it seems more like, well, why would anybody do that? Because there's not really like. You know, there's no, nothing good, or not nothing good, but like, why would I do that? It's not cool they're, or... They're it's all shamed awesome. into doing it. Yeah. It's clearly, under their, like, code of honor, it's clearly embarrassing that no one will take him up on it. Right, so right. Arthur ultimately steps up and is like, fine, if you won't do it, I'll do it, you know, old right. and wizened as I am. And then Gowan steps forward to, like, you know, relieve right. him of having to do that. But well, in, in a... 
I guess from our pr- perspective now, it's not a reasonable thing to ask at a Christmas yeah. party. <laughs> like, no, no. I, I say they're within their rights to be like, uh, no, why Why would I do that? You know? Yeah. And, and, and Sean Harris is the, is the actor's name. But yeah, again, I think in the movie, it's a little more like, you know, he had, Gowan has that thing where he says, I've not really done anything. Like, I want to, you know, I want to well, do something honorable, and he hasn't. So when he shows up, it's almost like he doesn't get that. You're not actually supposed to kill this guy. You're supposed to just, like, do yeah. something that you're cool with having done unto you. And it's more like, hit, you know, blind ambition leads him to you know, do what he ends up doing. Yeah, I feel like in the movie, they played up more the angle of whatever blow you give me, I will give you a like blow. Yeah, a year and one day from now. Mm-hmm. So there's a strong inference that the the wise move would be just to give him like a little nick. On yeah, the cheek. exactly. So yeah. it's in a way that doesn't quite come across in the poem as much. It yeah. seems like incredibly rash and idiotic that he fully beheads the guy. Yeah, <laughs> the guy being the titular Green Knight. Yeah, that's. A, I think. Yeah. I, sorry, I cut no, you go off. For go for it. <laughs> I think, you know, that's what I feel the movie does really well in giving context to that, where Arthur asks Gawain what what his story is. Who is he? What's yeah. his identity? Who are you? Where do you come from? And and he says, I I have I have no story to tell. And then I feel like that's the that that feeling of like, oh, I don't have an answer to that question is what we carry into the encounter with the Green Knight. And so for me that bravado of slicing off his head comes from that urge of having something to say about who he is which is very like like, i'll give you a story like my story begins now yeah Yeah. which i like i totally empathize with there's a sense of wanting to be known for something um instead of just like oh do you remember gawain when he just kind of scratched him with the tip of his sword and that was it like everybody laughed and nobody had fun like (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, no, that that is very, yeah. I'm so happy you two are my guests for this. So the, oh, yeah. and also, so I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the movie gives Gowan one critical thing that he lacks in the poem. Yes, a resplendent mustard yellow sash. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That visual detail in Dev Patel's costuming increases the movie's value in my eyes by like thirty percent. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. The Absolutely. cinematography alone, I could spend hours talking about. I just, I think in the theater, I was like out loud, making all kinds of of, of noises. Yeah, <laughs> were, like, yeah. Looking at me because I was just like, oh wow, that is that is beautiful. Yeah, it it made me feel the same way again when I saw ghost story and i was like i can't believe someone made this movie and i'm now watching it in like a theater i like i can't believe someone did this because again like it feels like they made it for me <laughs> like and i oh, i love it i love it yes i know and it, what was really interesting this is a little bit of a tangent but at the very end the people on our right 
I heard them say immediately like, oh, well, isn't that the worst movie that you've ever seen? Everybody was like shaking their head and, and like, oh my goodness, who are these people? I don't get know. Them out, get them out. Like, you were seated next to some Philistines. I love that. I was practically <laughs> weeping at that point and I said multiple times to my boyfriend, like whispering, like, this is the most perfect movie in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, again, me sitting with my dad, I kind of had moments. I was like, please don't say anything, dad. Please don't say anything. Please don't. Because I, I got the vibe watching the movie that he was not enjoying himself yeah i feel like it could be very divided with audiences i feel like it's a, such a specific kind of film that either deeply resonates or doesn't yeah i i feel like and this is kind of no fault of the film but like based on the marketing if you don't know the poem well, it's a movie called the green knight and dev patel's holding an axe and there's like this journey that he goes on so i think there was an audience that was going in like expecting like a lord of the rings type movie and this is not that it's not it's, it's a like, solo journey exactly it's like a meditative piece on like honor and all this which you know again me i'm like i'm in heaven this is amazing <laughs> and other people i you know i have sympathy for the audience that's like i thought they were gonna be heads chopped off and yeah more blood come yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> not enough so one of the other things that i i notice is they the movie focuses a little more on the journey than the than the poem oh, seems to 100 yeah. the yeah. journey is basically elided in the yeah book. It's yeah. it's like one paragraph and it's it's evocatively depicted. Yeah. But you don't see it episode by episode, which is really the heart of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and he also his um Neil, I know you had thoughts about Alicia Vikander's accent in the I'm movie. I'm so glad you brought this up. I was going to get this in one way or another. Yes, yes. I was going to find an opening for this. I want to hear what you have to say. So <laughs> In doing further research, I've learned that this was written at a time when English was more differentiated by region than okay. it is today. So even though the author of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight was a contemporary of Chaucer, apparently his Middle English usage is completely different, mm -hmm. which makes sense. I think it's pre-printing press. You know, there's a lot fewer ways to disseminate language at that time. So it was more hyper-local. Mm -hmm. And all that to say, they, I guess they can really trace the author of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, even though his identity remains unknown, to like the Midlands of England. I can't remember the specific county, but um, it's it's kind of almost humorously like parochial and, and local, you know. Mm. Right. Um, I think Alicia Vikander <laughs> was trying to do a Midlands accent when she's playing... Gowan's girlfriend in the brothel. Mm. So she plays multiple characters because she plays like the lady of the manor or the castle at the end. Mm. And there she goes back to kind of her kind of default speech, I think. It's more it's like she loses the attempt at doing a, a regional English accent. Yes. But when she's playing Gowan's girlfriend, she's doing what's basically like a a corrupt hybrid of like <laughs> What is she Danish? It's like Danish I think so. and a Danish accent and like a Midlands English accent that kind of verges more on a Yorkshire accent. Mm -hmm. yes. So I, I'm just sitting there in the theater. I'm just like, with all due respect to my A24 queen, <laughs> I, like, 
<laughs> what is going on with your accent, Alicia? <laughs> like, what did your dialect coach do to you? You know. And, and, and I'll point out, Neil's father is British. So, so if anyone yes, my, know, yeah. my dad's English, and I lived in England for about three years um, in my twenties. So I'm like a little more familiar with English accents than the average American. I'm not going to say like that I'm, you know, super good at it or whatever, but. <laughs> Yeah. Enough to just be like that. I don't know what that accent is. What is yeah. she doing? Well, well, she's been open about how difficult it was to speak with that accent. So I do think it was her dialect coach like, no, no, Alicia, more more, more like this. Like I this. don't know that I would change a thing, though. Yeah. Because this I is a movie where you have it. green knights <laughs> lift their own decapitated head and talk through it. Like the weird accent just adds to the hallucinatory dreamlike yes. quality of the overall milieu, you know. Yeah. So well, I kind of loved it. And I think it also does something for that character because I think you know we as you know moviegoers we see Alicia Vikander and we're like, oh, why would he be like ashamed of people knowing that he's with her, or why would he turn down her proposals for marriage? So you know, because you look at her and you're like, yeah, I don't get it. But then when you know she kind of gets into more of the like, she's got a weird accent and kind of and what, and her performance is so good in the movie that I think it's all kind of feeding into the audience's expectation of like he is ashamed of of this woman and kind of like brushing her to the side, which yeah. I thought was like a fantastic thing to explore and like he's kind of an unlikable character <laughs> in, in a lot in this yeah. which those are my i love when you can get me to like want to see what happens with someone like that yes and i think you know i think there's a lot of attention paid in the movie to really distinguishing each woman who has a role in his life yes. because i think that's a huge theme that came out for me in the poem when i first read it is this idea of masculinity versus femininity and your relationship to the women in your life as a knight. Um, and even the notion of what it means to become a knight and to be a knight and to be Sir Gawain. Um, so for me, it was almost like I saw, I liked her accent in a way because it made it, it made the like fabric of women's voices so distinct. You have almost like the wordless voice of his mother. Like she doesn't really talk a lot. It's just through witchcraft. And then you have yeah his girlfriend and then you have this magnificent eloquence of the the lady in the castle um to kind of to kind of distinguish all these different roles that women play in his life um so i actually really i really liked her accent. Yeah, no, yeah well when it does when she comes back as the lady of the castle later in the movie oh, and she's yes. dropped the the kind of weird hybrid accent yeah it suddenly makes her seem much more commanding Oh, yes. I don't know if that was done intentionally, but when she suddenly has regained that like crisp Alicia Vikander diction. Yeah. There's this regal presence that suddenly descends on her that's not there, you know, in that earlier character. Absolutely. Very yeah. like literate, too. She emphasizes that she's read every book in the castle and written some. Like there's this emphasis on her actually being fluent and literate and in command of language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, um, moving backwards a little bit in the, in the plot, is there anything that jumped out? Because like we said, they, the journey is most of the movie, I would say. So is there anything that, and I guess this is where the most, I don't want to say Liberty was taken, but we'll say that 
Is there anything where about that that kind of jumped out to either one of you or any moments in particular that were moving? Oh, can we they talk all jumped about out. <laughs> yeah. They all jumped out. But yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the the magic mushrooms? Yes. Can we yes. can someone talk Okay. I feel like <laughs> I literally like was not surprised when it was happening. I'm like, oh, there are mushrooms. Uh, he's gonna eat the mushrooms, and he's gonna get very sick. Like I, I know this to be true. Yes. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I did. I so I saw the film twice, and I think that was the one scene that stayed with me the most because it was so interpretive. Yes. Um, so far from the original source text. Um, but I actually like. I watched this really interesting documentary on mushrooms recently on Netflix. It's really cool. It's called Fantastic Fungi. It's it's amazing. Um, and they talk a little bit about magic mushrooms um, and how they've been around for a really, really long time. So it's really not surprising that he would encounter them on his journey. So there's this element of realism to it that I'm sure people knew of this. Um, but then it also, I think, really supports this idea of being so on this journey and so lost in himself and so alone um, that he is kind of reaching into these surreal abstract regions um, and kind of really going where no one else is going. And so I think, you know, the, the giants and the singing and the Fox and um, you know, he thinks the green knight is standing in front of him, but it's actually a tree. Like I, I actually did find it really beautiful and really lovely. And it made sense to me. It made sense that that would be an element of this journey. Sure. Um, so There's yeah. a little interlude with the, the girl whose skull he retrieves from the bottom yes. of the pool. Yes. yes. I guess that's like another independent folktale. Interesting. That David Lowry just kind of like interpolated into the Green Knight. Yeah. Mm. It was theme the way he interpreted the Green Knight, it was thematically on point. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that that jumped out to me is I I loved how everywhere that, you know, Gowan went, it was just take, 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 take. It was and it, because again, we see that, you know, every Arthurian legend is basically and they showed up in town and everybody gave them what they wanted and they gave them this and that. And, you know, this is cool because again, with the expectation, it flips it where he's showing up and, you know, the the guy that he encounters in the field doesn't give him information. He's, you know, just kind of like pay me first. Like, you know, give me respect, give me something. You're not just going to get things for free. He goes into the house and she's essentially like, what, what are you doing? Mm. You know? And so then at the end, when he finally gets to the castle and people are like, yeah, no, stay here. Or like, stay with us. There's a sense of what, wait, no, that's weird. <laughs> you know, like, and even with the giant, she's like, you know, let me, let me go on your backs. And so it's, I loved that. That was like such a thing in in the movie and that they really sort of leaned into you know that we always again because like i was saying we always read in these stories that these are like the heroes and the kings and the lords and everybody loves them and i love you know but they probably didn't there was probably like you have to do this when people coming over so it was cool seeing that uh question in the film I really love that interpretation. Now I'm just like going through and thinking of all the other interactions there. It's like this idea of what a gift is and what an exchange is and yes. what it means to have like a mutual exchange or a non-mutual exchange. Yeah. 
and the idea of cost and what you pay for and what you're entitled to versus what you're not entitled to. Um, and I don't know if it comes up with any answers per se, Yeah. but you're right. I feel like a lot of relationships during that time were not necessarily uh, mutual. I mean, no. during battles and wars and, you know, coming in and literally destroying towns and just taking the land, um, yeah. taking ownership. It's uh, highway yeah. robberies of which Gowan experiences one. Yeah. Which apparently was a intended as like a, a reference to Barry Lyndon or a callback to Barry Lyndon. Interesting. Just a scene of someone like wandering alone in the woods and being robbed by like lightly armed highwaymen. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that struck me both in this and in Barry Lyndon, the people robbing him don't really have weapons. Yeah. It's just like three guys ambush you and they're just like, we're robbers, you're being robbed. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you got my stuff then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Just there's an implied threat, you know. It, right. Mm-hmm. I, no, I think you're so right because I watched that scene and I'm like, he's a knight. He's these guys are he's gonna I know. Me. It's like yeah. he got robbed by like a sixteen year old. I know. Who is a brilliant actor. I think he yes. acts that character so well. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Um, can we talk about Joel Edgerton in this movie? Because <laughs> Joel Edgerton in this movie, folks. Uh, y- yeah. <laughs> yeah, what more is it saying? He is such a character in the poem. And I I really liked the, the change that, you know, um, it. there's a plot twist in, in the poem, kind of, where you find out the Green Knight is like, it's, he's... He's been this guy the whole time, which is yeah. kind of like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very much, it feels like the last chapter of Clockwork Orange almost where they're like, you have to write, you have to make this all make sense in a way. Um, yes. but, I really like the choice yeah. on the part of the movie to skip the plot twist that demythologizes the Green Knight. Yeah. Yes. Even I though I know there was magic involved in the poem, but when it turns out it was like all just a test, you know? Yeah. That's very much how the poem ends. It's like, yeah. oh, we were just testing you the entire time, and here yeah. are all the big takeaways that we had. And yeah. I I love that that doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah, and remember, go back and be noble now. Wear this yeah. stash. Everybody's going to wear it. Remember yeah. what it means to I mess do, up royally. <laughs> once again, the, the like costuming angle, I do like that the poem ends with all of Arthur's knights donning green sashes as a reminder <laughs> yeah. to always yeah. tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, which again, <laughs> the strong Christian overtones at the end. Like, And, yeah. and again, here's kind of, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think the strong Christian overtones in here are where um, the the wife is trying to make advances on uh, Gawain in the poem and there's that well whatever you receive in my castle I want you to give to me and in the um, poem he's a little more noble and mm-hmm. you know he's a little more like oh, yeah. <laughs> no 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 and in this one and it's, it was so like just brilliant the casting of Alicia Vikander as both characters like, of course, like, we already know he's not noble. He's not, like, a good guy. So, of course, he's just gonna, like he's been doing the whole time, just take, 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 take. Yes. Yeah. 
I thought that was a good update because yeah, it it feels very and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But in the poem it feels very women are bad and try to get you to do bad things. You yeah. better be careful. I agree. I feel like I feel like that's very much the poem's message is like it, it's very much the context of a test. Like here here I am a non-virtuous woman tempting you. Um <laughs> I'm I'm one of the seven, you know, I'm one of the seven sins. Like yeah. I'm lost. Like let's see what you do with this, <laughs> Faust. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting though because it's not played as like serious sexual temptation. No. no, and maybe that's just like the chaste mores of the time. But yeah, it's not like the the cardinal in a Hunchback of Notre Dame ongoing Esmeralda. Like it's much, yes. it's much more chaste than that. Yeah. yeah. Like, in the poem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys want to come back for Hunchback of Notre Dame? <laughs> uh, yes, please. All right. I like how that's my like baseline point of reference for like profound, like libidinous, sinful, like, you know. Well, I mean, when they wrote, when they wrote Hunchback, there was a sense of like, you can't write this victor hugo like you can't you can't do this and i and again you you read old poems like this and you know again like you were saying kate like the non-virtuous woman like and as a result he has to, he has to kiss the king yep. and, and all of this but other it's stuff. very like the flirtation and the seduction such as it is is like very light-hearted Yes, yeah. it it's is. a lot of like parrying jibes, and you know, it's like not. And there's so much again. There's so much yeah. like laughing and like, oh yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, I was sitting next to my dad, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I might, I might need to step out for a minute. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dad, close your eyes. <laughs> um, dad, this is not appropriate for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, again, it's more like his behavior is still shameful in the in the film and yeah all the updates that was i think one that i particularly enjoyed in that you know they didn't make her the you know the villainous character it's more like she knows what he wants like she knows yeah. like what that he is lust kind of like flipping like kate how you're saying she's lust we flipped it now it's he's all seven of the Ooh. deadly sins Ooh, i've not thought of <laughs> i've not thought Ooh, about I like that, that. And it's also like, I really found that scene fascinating where at the very end, she's like, you are no knight. Yeah. And there's this whole, I mean, this was also a thing in the poem. This is where I saw a lot of common ground between the two was so much commentary on what it is to be a knight, what it is to be a man and mm -hmm. what the definition is of that, what you can rely on to make that definition. And so, you know, we have Sir Gawain at one point saying, I'm not a knight. I'm not a knight. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Yeah. And, the highwayman saying, "Yeah, you, you're a knight. Like, come on, we're gonna, mm -hmm. we're going to destroy you." And then in that moment, where the lady of the castle says, "You're no knight." Yeah, which again, I thought that that said for an audience in 2021, such an amazing thing about like privilege. You know mm -hmm. how like sometimes we're really quick when it like is beneficial for us to be like, "No, I'm not this or that," but when there is privilege that goes along with it, it's very easy to stand up and be like, oh yes, I'm, I'm benefiting from this, it's good. But then when it's essentially time to pay the piper, we all wanna, no, that's, that's not me, I don't do that. So I thought that was very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in, the, in the poem, he is a knight. That's yeah. a huge difference yeah. between the, the movie. They chose to humble him and make him like 
a knight in training or an, an aspiring knight in the yeah. movie. So he has more of an arc, you know, over the course mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and well, I guess now we get into, I guess, maybe one of the other biggest difference, the ending of the, like we said, the movie versus the the book. What did what did I called it as a joke, the what, twilight what ending of, of green Knight? Cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, I feel like this ending should make me angry, but I, I really liked it. Cause I, loved it. I was watching it and like, he goes home and you know, you see, he hasn't learned anything. He's not gained anything from this experience. He's just mm -hmm. like, now he's like living a lie and it's, and it's ruining his life. Even though he's getting everything he wants, there's no joy in it. There's no satisfaction in what he's, in what he's acquired. So watching it, I was like, this is just going to be like a nice tragic ending. Just like I like it's sad. We're all going to be depressed. And then the movie <laughs> fakes you out. Yeah, and he learns his lesson essentially, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I really yes. like this." Yes, I thought in the poem I was rereading the ending again today. So that what's interesting is that in the poem there are three blows that happen. Yeah, and mm -hmm. none of them are fatal. Um, one nicks him because he he kind of ducks away, and so he gets nicked. Yeah, um, and the Green Knight explains why, but I love how the movie interpreted those three blows um in such an interesting way where you think that he's like no i can't do this after the third one and leaves mm -hmm. when actually that's not that's not really how it is um i thought it was brilliant i thought it was so brilliant mm -hmm. i did and like the fact that they kept the the element from the encounter with the lady of the castle of this the sash that confers yeah. immortality right or at least confers unkillableness, but thereby compromises your morality. Yeah. And in the poem, the compromise is more that he doesn't reveal the sash to the Lord of right. the manor. So he he like reneges on the promise they'd made to each other by by not mentioning the sash. But in the movie, it's more like the, the compromise is that he's trying to cheat death. Basically, right, right. You know? Anything where like someone cheats death, but then like the rest of their long years are tawdry and meaningless because of that is always like provoking to consider. Mm. Like showing him living out like a long, full life as a successful monarch. <laughs> and then at the at the end, it all just falls to ash because he takes the sash off you know yeah. it was, it was really kind of like wow that's a lot to chew on i think it also has a lot to say of like his relationship to his mother and kind of bowing to the whims of all these women who are implicated in this sash and <laughs> yeah i kind of feel like you know, I you just love to... the phrase implicated in the sash. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. a <laughs> good one. For the name of the podcast. There's that I blood said. on the sash. <laughs> <laughs> There's an implication yeah. here. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know. Yeah, man. I, I, don't I didn't know, know how ready I was for sash-based metaphors, but it really struck a chord with me. <laughs> I I did have a moment, uh, audience. If you're used to hearing us talk about uh, Veggie Tales and McGee and me, hopefully we're broadening your horizons a little bit. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I do want to, you know, I do want to talk about how the time period where this movie has come out based on when the, um, you know, based on when the poem was written, it's vastly different the way that art is created and consumed. So with you two, um, as I've said to many people, I was like, my two smart friends are going to be on the show and they're going to explain to me, um, a lot of things. How did art... Unfortunately, most of it has been sash-based, but... Hey, hey, I love it, I love it. How did art respond to being put in the the church bubble? Because we hear about, for years and years and years and years, that all art was essentially, like, only being made for God, which really was for the church and influenced by the church and kind of overseen by the church. So how do you think art was hindered by that and also on the flip side do you think that it made art better at all i was definitely struck by how catholic the poem was that was something i wasn't expecting it makes sense because it's pre-henry the eighth you know it's england during medieval times right when it was a catholic country but the level of imagery in it that was not just Christian, but specifically Catholic was, was definitely striking to me. Yeah. So I'm going to have a kind of a long rambly thought to this. So I, I, I really love that I read this, this poem in college in the context of all these other very religious poems written during that time, um, where I got to see kind of like the full range, at least of the, the you know, big, the, the bestsellers of the time. Um, and their response to the church and their relationship to the church. And I feel like something that is really interesting in terms of what I feel that enables in this poem and enabled in poetry at this time is really starting to focus on the individual journey, like this individual faith journey in a way. Like you think of Pierre's Plowman, for example, um, where it really comes down to less of the collective and more of like, Here's this knight venturing out into this terrain and grappling with all of these big things about his identity and about honor and about what's important in this world. And I think that's like that theme of like the individual who has a faith tradition or is following a faith tradition. I think that's something that's very relevant to today, for example. But I think in a way that I you could see that in a way as the church almost enabling art and that it allowed writers to talk more about the individual. But then you think about Chaucer and it's all about multiple people journeying, but it's still this idea of the pilgrimage or the journey. And it still comes down to the individual who's, who's completing that act of pilgrimage. And when you start getting into the headspace of an individual, that's where I start to, to see literature really shifting, where you start to get into the consciousness of, of protagonists and really understand their emotions and, explore questions of identity and so in that way i feel like it wasn't really put into a bubble i also feel like literature of this time you really see a lot of satire especially with chaucer again i'm going in that direction where i think having um having an organization like the church really allowed writers to uh figure out what it was like to talk about something that everybody was talking about but also to start poking fun and also starting to um, find holes in logic and um, add their own specific commentary, but still under the guise of we're talking about this faith tradition. So um, 
I think in a way it's almost like you see people being really creative and exploring new directions with art as a result in both in response to and not in response to. Um, but I do, I do find it interesting. I think we were talking about this on Instagram, um, how it's like in the movie, there are gestures to Christianity, but they're very subtle, but I think they're also very well chosen. Like um, the Virgin Mary on the shield, yeah. for example, that he takes on his journey and the moment where you have them blessing him before he goes on his journey and is a very um, religious context there. And I'm really glad that they incorporated those elements as a reminder, like, this is the context of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Christ so is born. that's a rambly response, but... No, it's fine, no. I, and I think, uh, Kate, to kind of get into what you were talking about, the at the end of the poem, you know, like you were saying, we remember, we learn at the end of the poem, always tell the truth, and don't have sex with the king's wife, and don't do this, <laughs> and don't do that, which, again, all very, you know, Christian church themes whereas the movie is a little bit more like you need to be your own moral compass otherwise you know if you have none you're gonna have a terrible life and doing stuff so that's what i liked about it is that this is more of the personal journey and i think you know hosting this show i as i complain all the time i have to watch all these like terrible horrible movies where at the end the message is always like you know and don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this. And I was like, I, I don't know. I wish you were giving me a decision to make at the end of this. Whereas yeah. at the end of you know this this film, I'm like, oh, this gives me a lot to think about and to chew on. And I'm sad that you know predominantly Christian media today doesn't do that as much. Mm. I think what the poem, what the movie fastens onto that's present in the poem, but isn't really followed through is the sense that Gowan is marked for death yes. from the moment he beheads the green knight. Yeah. He is obligated to submit himself to a like blow, which means he's, he's going to die. Right. And he has a year and one day to prepare himself for that. And the poem doesn't really reckon with like, what would that mean? Because obviously it turns out to be like a trick and a test in the end. He doesn't die. But to put him in that situation, I like the way the movie latches onto that as a metaphor for all of our situation. Yeah. yeah. It's, I know that's not like the most profound read ever, it, but it's kind of like um, the replicants in Blade Runner. <laughs> like yes. it brings Blade Runner into this. Yes. Like, Please the, do. The replicants have a four-year lifespan. Yeah. You have this initial reaction of like, oh my goodness, they're they're like hardwired to expire in four years. Like what a crazy existential plight. Mm -hmm. And then it suddenly hits you like that's just like a microcosm of all of all of our plight. Yeah. You know, it's the same with Gallen in the film, at least. It's like he he just knows he's going to die in, you know, a year and one day. And and he's just kind of like marching toward that and trying to you know reckon with that yeah and that was so interesting to me he doesn't try to take his fate into his own hands he's like well this is gonna happen but there's a sense of like but it's gonna happen eventually which you know mm -hmm. the the human race we love 
you know, <laughs> thinking about our consequences as, well, it'll happen, you know, eventually. Maybe I won't be here, or maybe something terrible will happen. Or on the flip side, like, well, let me just do whatever I want until, you know, it's time for me to, like, pay for my choices. Mm. So, you know, and and I think one of my favorite things is the movie doesn't come out and overtly say that. Like, there's not... If you haven't seen this movie, we've spoiled the whole thing for you, but there's not a lot of dialogue, which I really like. There's a lot, there's a lot to, um, again, to interpret. And I think that's the best art is the art that you have to talk about with your friends in a diner at 2 a.m. and, you know, just really unpack everything. And, I think those I are the stories that I remember now. the most. <laughs> Can we go to a diner now? <laughs> I, I'm down. I'm I want down. my 2 a.m. talking about art diner hangouts. Let's get yeah. back to that. I <laughs> need pancakes. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds lovely. But again, I think the stories that tend to stick with us are the ones where we, you know, came have come to our own conclusions. Again, to go back to Shakespeare, even. I think the reason why he's still so relevant is because there's people who read his work and go, this means this. And other people go, actually, that means that. And everybody gets to be right. Yes. I know. And that's, I, I think about what you said with your student who was just like, wait, no, I, I need the original language because uh, there's something that's so lost here. I think the original language allows for interpretation. You, it's just bottomless. And I feel like, um, Oddly enough, Sir Gawain, there is a bottomlessness to some aspects of the poem that I think this film does a really good job of tapping into. Well, folks, it's about that time where we're going to use our manners. Just like when they offered you more baked mac and cheese at uh, the church potluck, when I offer you more content like The Green Knight, I would like for you to give me a yes, please, or a no, thank you. So, uh, Neil, I'm bringing the plate to you. Would you like more content like this? I think you know what my response is going to be. And obviously, analogizing it to baked mac and cheese just drives it home. I mean, yes. if there's mac and cheese at the buffet or at the potluck dinner, um, I'm getting some. Yes. It's not even a question. Um, and similarly, there's no question. I would love more stuff like this. Um, one piece of context that I wanted to, to slip in is I'm a big fan of Beowulf. Yes. The poem, not the Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> oh like CGI I, think, movie. I think that script slaps, well, but I think that the animation is dreadful enough. <laughs> I do think. Crispin Glover's portrayal of Grendel is actually quite good. Yeah. And I love the fact that they have him speak Old English. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. But I'll save the Beowulf yes. you know, side tangent. But <laughs> For that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really love Beowulf and like Beowulf adjacent literature. Yes. So um, I that was in a weird way more than Sir Gowan and the Green Knight my like interest in that meant that like the pump was primed for me for anything that was like set in medieval England, mm. you know, or like rooted in that tradition. So mm -hmm. when I saw that there was a film starring Dev Patel along those lines thematically with like a really striking visual style, I was like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kate, Neil would like more of the baked mac and cheese. Would you like some? Well, given that I literally wrote a poem and not being a poet uh, ever, um, I wrote a poem when I was about 13 all about my love of cheese. Nice. And it won a prize in a contest. Beautiful. And it rhymed and it was awful. Well, Um, you spoke to something in the human spirit that all of us can relate to. I did. It's all about fermented (laughs) dairy. What can I say at the end of the day? (laughs) Um, I would heartily accept that casserole platter and ask for a second one. Yes. Um, Yes, please. More. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And I'll round it out. Like I was saying earlier, I wish that like, because I know I have to watch God's Not Dead four for this show, and I'm I'm dreading it. I'm so sad about it, but oh, I appreciate your willingness to mix in <laughs> other genres that aren't like necessarily in that kind of like Christian media realm. Yeah, well, again, because this is you know kind of like we did um, Shirley Temple's Heidi. This is like kind yeah. of I want to talk about like in the you know the bible and church inspiring art and and that's the thing i wish that people would let you know things like religion be the inspiration and not necessarily like the crux so to speak like i wish that people could just go like yeah there's that theme in there if you want to follow it but again i think to quote um chris in the noah episode just tell stories and i think that that's what this movie does and the thing i like about it is that at the end there's not kind of this sense of you watch some movies and it feels like the director's like i remember hearing a story about um seth rogan was at a party when donnie darko was being released and he said to the director hey, I don't get the movie. And the director was like, oh no, I feel like no one's going to get it. I don't feel like that's the case here. I feel like David Lowry's like, yeah, you know, okay, like, sure. Or like when The Lighthouse came out and the director, you know, when people are like, what's, what's it about? And the, and the director just said, yes, whatever, whatever you think it's about, it's about that. So I think that those are the best stories. And I think that, you know, maybe if you could go back whoever made God's Not Dead 4 if you're listening if you could go back and not make that and make something else where maybe the audience gets to think for themselves a little bit um, I would really enjoy that so yes please more content like this I'm gonna claim uh, The Green Knight as as a Christian film now sure yeah (laughs) I, I need it so yes please conclusion uh folks go go see the green knight go have a david lowry film festival and you'll be depressed for a month um it'll be it'll be a good time uh i'm very excited that he's doing peter pan also i can't wait to be sad about about captain hook but um (laughs) but folks i cannot say thank you enough to both kate and and neil for being such absolutely amazing incredible brilliant brilliant guests uh get at them in the comments tell them how wonderful they are people this is a 
affirming circle affirm people i'm getting Aww. angry for no reason so, um but <laughs> uh, <scream> night. <laughs> yes yes do either of you have uh, anything that you would like to plug before we uh we say goodbye here Ooh, i will say um kind of a kind of a side note but a cool theater performance that's coming up october 2nd um with some ISPers actually that you might see it's called outside of here and it's going to be a 12-hour experimental play. You might have seen it advertised on Facebook. That will be all Nashville-based people, um, but live streamed. And basically, it's it's a commentary on so many amazing things. Uh, it doesn't specifically reference the pandemic, but it's all about what it means to leave a space and stay in a space. And um, because we're you know we we came together through virtual theater here's another opportunity to experience something cool. So that's what I'm plugging right now. And that plugs a bunch of other really awesome humans. So That is oh, awesome. Check that out. Yeah. So I'll plug two things. One is I do have, as you referenced earlier, Zach, I have some, some of my pieces of writing up on Medium. So if you just search Nielsen Mon on Medium, you'll find my page. And I have a few selected fugitive pieces up there that you may find to be of interest, dabbling in different genres. And then um, the other thing I'll mention, not so much because it's really, you know, a notable uh, media property, but because my uh, my co-host wouldn't forgive me if I didn't plug this while I'm on here, is I have a podcast as well. It is called Two Officers and a Gentleman. I am the, <laughs> the aforementioned gentleman. The other two co-hosts are both officers in the Salvation Army. It's kind of like one of these vintage British comedies that had a, an extremely limited run. I think there's only like four episodes. Maybe a total of eight people have ever listened to it. Um, so this this has the potential to, you know, if we even get like three more listeners as a result of this plug, this could be a serious signal boost for us. I, I think our most recent episode was from like 2019. If that gives you an idea of how, how wow, active I the feed is. Yeah. Beautiful. And and I would like to, to plug uh, our community, The Real Lounge, which is on Facebook. It's a private group for not just fans of the podcast, but people who want to talk about movies in a non-toxic environment. That's kind of why The Real Boys started. We wanted to create a safe place for people to talk about art and things without, you know, trolling or, you know, toxic people in in the group um so yeah it's a fun time we do live streams there we uh sometimes do watch parties so if that's something you're interested in that is the real lounge on www.facebook.com mm. and selfishly what a I'm, website what a website <laughs> and, and selfishly i'd like to plug my uh, letterbox account because today I reviewed the Olsen Twins classic Passport to Paris, and oh, no one has wow. said anything. So, uh, you know, uh, I'll put the link to that. Come on, people. Let's get some engagement. Yeah. What do we do? Zach is like casting talk. his pearls before swine out here. Amen. <laughs> Stay tuned for our Olsen Twins podcast. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, to be clear, that's not like an Olsen Twins episode. That's like a separate feed of podcasts. <laughs> the whole podcast just about their, their filmography. One in Rome. Uh, I can't. Holiday in the Sun. Oh, all, all just yeah. <laughs> just just the title went in, and then fill in the blank. <laughs> anyway, folks. Until next time, I've been Sir Zach, and I've I, been Sir Nielsen, and I am Lady Kate. Boom. Sorry, sorry, I stepped on your line. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. okay. 
We're out of practice. We're a little rusty as an ensemble of players. <laughs> a little bit. Well, the adventure is over. We're all heading home. But I hope that you know, friends, you're never alone. My only caveat to that is um, this movie kind of messed me up a little bit. Ooh. Oh. Just the, you know, general rumination on like fate and mortality, yes. mm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he finds seemingly the perfect antidote to his predicament in the form of the sash, the much discussed sash, but it doesn't actually save him. It just prolongs his life in kind of a meaningless way, you know? Sash fellas. Um, so I <laughs> let's just rebrand at this point. Let's yes, yeah. <laughs> have me on for just all sash episode. That that could be yeah, on Patreon. Or <laughs> Every time like a Jesus wears a sash and something, we can have you back on. <laughs> yeah, Shakespeare's so, got lots of sashes. I know that for sure. <laughs> the Sash Show. That's my new podcast. <laughs> as we much are. As I, I love this movie. Yes. I, I just I don't know that I want to contemplate a world where there's one of these like every month because I would be just getting emotionally jacked up like over. Yeah. And over again. Oh, I mean, Neil, that that just. But we my love that, that though, Nielsen. Like. <laughs> I I did yes. have a friend say to me one time. He's like, Zach, no more movie suggestions from you for like two more months because they're I'm, all very heavy. Well, yeah, I was like, well, you should watch Good Time, and he's like, okay, you should watch The Lighthouse. All right, check out two. 2001 i'm done 